Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Man, I'm excited about today's show. Ed Pisker is back. Ed, who, of course, is the creator of the incredible hip-hop family tree. Listen, I'm not a hip-hop fan. But I got to tell you, his retelling of the history of hip-hop in comic book form has been so fascinating to see. He's got four volumes out. I'm a volume behind. But uh, he's bringing his design and narrative talents to Marvel in a very, very exciting uh, miniseries called X-Men Grand Design. He's retelling the history of the mutants in the Marvel Universe, going back to the very beginning and uh, pre-X-Men you know, X -Men number one. We're, we're going back to... You know, the early golden age here with a lot of what he's doing. And um, it's incredible. I, I read the first 40 pages, the first issue, which comes out on December 22nd. And uh, it's incredibly ambitious. It's very interesting. It's one of Axel Alonso's uh, last greenlit projects. So certainly the timing is interesting as well. Um, it reminds me, and Ed and I talk about it, when uh, movie studios will change hands and uh, something is already in the works and the new regime has to, you know, bring a film to turn it, put it in uh, pregnancy uh, terms. But it's true. And it's always really interesting. You know, uh, I don't know if you remember, Christopher uh, Guest did that uh, great movie. Um, and now I'm blanking. Isn't it the big picture with Kevin Bacon? And uh, a little different than the Guffman movies and his uh, movies with his repertory cl uh, class. But it's a great comedy. You got to seek it out. And um, it got no support from the studio because it was a new regime. So it's like, all right, put it out the hell with it, whatever, and you move on. Well, this is a little different. And X-Men Grand Design, again, um, as I, I know you all know, I'm not the biggest X-Men fan. But I do like when uh, something ambitious happens, whether it's the X-Men or any Marvel character. This is what it feels like. You'll remember a few years ago, Marvel did Strange Tales. And I thought that was really cool and ambitious. But Ed is right. You know, when we, you'll hear it in the conversation, it was kind of more of a stunt. You know, it was only... Five issues. Dean Haspiel, a great indie uh, creator, has been able to come in and do some miniseries over the years. But it's been a pretty long time since we've seen somebody like that. So it's pretty cool that Axel uh, greenlit this and we get somebody as unique as Ed doing his spin on the Marvel Universe. I definitely think if you like Strange Tales, you're going to be even more excited about this uh, arc of six issues. You know, Ed will tell you about the whole series, how it's going to come out, how it's going to be traded, and I don't want to, I don't want to tip any more. You'll enjoy the conversation today with Ed Pisker. It's great to have another interesting independent voice back at one of the big two and doing more than just five or ten pages of story. So we're going to talk about X-Men Grand Design with Ed Pisker on today's Word Balloon. Today's episode is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. A couple new members have joined this week. I thank you. Good timing. Uh, it's the end of the month. And um, if you think Word Balloon uh, helps enhance your appreciation of the geek culture, then and you think that, you know, you want to support the show, if you can subscribe to Word Balloon, that's fantastic. Um, it's funny. I put out a Twitter and Facebook post Monday because literally Monday uh, to the day, it's been exactly one year since I got let go f uh, from my full-time radio job. And this has really been a very interesting year of uh, freelance opportunities with things like No Plan B, Mike a uh, Avon Oming's art book, uh, you know, and uh, trying to expand with Word Balloon. And we've moved over to Blog Talk Radio now. Thank you very much for uh, being patient, and I hope you, uh, I hope the commercials don't get in the way of the appreciation of the show. But um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be crunching some numbers in the next couple of days. And uh, it, it really helps uh, the subscribers to Word Balloon uh, help keep this show possible as I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I am looking for full-time work. And uh, we'll see what happens in the next few weeks or months. Um, I might uh, get an answer regarding that. And I'll let you know how things turn out. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a journey. And I, uh, forgive me if that sounds too maudlin because it isn't bad stuff. Good stuff has happened. And it's giving me a chance to create more content in Word Balloon, under the Word Balloon umbrella, and uh, really make something of this. And I really do see the progression. So uh, a lot of it is due to your help through those subscriptions. If you like Word Balloon and you want to subscribe, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or go to wordballoon.com, and there's an ad for Patreon right there on the front page. But uh, thank you for your support and consideration, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. I'm uh, releasing this the night of um, New Comics Day. I didn't have a chance to go to the store. I was at Second City, the theater there, uh, doing a presentation about you know, surviving during the gig economy to a bunch of uh, entrepreneurs, and it was really fun to have that opportunity. So I haven't seen these books yet at In Stock Trades. Maybe you have. Uh, there's some pretty neat stuff, though. Uh, you can get the latest trade of Flash by Jeff Johns. What a amazing run, incredible run from Jeff Johns back in uh, the uh, the 2000s doing Flash and really uh, honing his craft. This collects uh, Flash 200 number one through 213, 320 pages, and uh, Jay, Wally, and Barry all represented on the cover. Uh, so you know you're in for some great stuff. It's 50% off, $14. And 99 cents. You can get Jessica Jones, Volume 2, The Secrets of Maria Hill. That was a hell of a story arc. Michael Gatos, Brian Bendis, David Mack cover. You know, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Jessica Jones uh, in the hands of some other Marvel creators. Uh, it's uh, It's been a great run. And uh, we already, I think, have had a taste on Netflix. So it's possible. It'll happen. But it was great that um, the people that made this book possible in the first place alias going that far back to uh the the beginning of the casada regime two regimes ago at marvel but this is a great uh, collection of uh jessica jones with mike gatos brian bendis uh it represents um jessica jones 7 through 12 136 pages and it's on sale at instocktrades.com for just eight dollars and 99 cents of course we're in the christmas season and you know for the comic book lover in your life you can do no better than InStockTrades.com. Great books, great prices, and it's very easy to fill up a Christmas list with some of the great deals that you will find there. How about Ghost Fleet, the whole goddamn thing? It's uh, the trade paperback. Donny Cates, Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, this collects uh, the Ghost Fleet 1 through 8 from Image. 45% off. It's just $10.99. There's tons of uh, While Supplies Last Reduced price savings going on. You can get things like 75% off uh, 12-issue discount comic book service variants. Bundles, only uh, $15.47. You can get, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, 70% on select Marvel omnibuses. So that would be great. Man, there's a good stocking stuffer. Man, that'll stretch things out. Um, 50 to 90% off uh, a bunch of uh, mostly out-of-print titles. DC Select Books up to 70% off. Select Marvel Masterworks up to 50% off. PSA Art Books up to 50% off. Image Books up to 60% off. Damaged Books that, you know, I got to be honest, I'm okay with a crease in my book. 
<laughs> that sounds like a euphemism. That sounded dirty. My apologies. But you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's true. I want to read the book. It's okay. So you get great deals in It Stock Trades on damaged uh, books as well. Maybe not a Christmas gift, but something for yourself. But anyway, this is the holiday season. Be smart. You'll find great books at great prices at InStockTrades.com. All right, without further ado, let's uh, have our conversation with Ed Pisker talking about X-Men, Grand Design, and a bit about Hip Hop Family Tree, and uh, just some general philosophies that, honestly, I, I don't know if these have been discussions in your comic book stores, but I think you got something new to talk about when you hear some of Ed's thoughts. Ed Pisker, now on Word Balloon. I'm happy to have Ed Pisker back to Word Balloon. Welcome back, man. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time to promote this comic for me. This is great. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of Hip Hop Family Tree, and in the same vein, it's cool that you're doing this project with uh, Marvel. Let's start at the beginning. How did this happen? Um, well, the, the Hip Hop Family Tree comics attained a certain level of popularity, you know, got an Eisner Award, got nominated for uh, like eight or nine Eisner Awards on this thing, um, hit the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, yeah. So I started, so I started to feel slightly egotistical and I put a put a tweet online um after I drew some X-Men fan art and simply just said Marvel should let me make whatever kind of X-Men comic I feel like making uh within an hour Axel got in touch and the ball started rolling um I believe from the time that I put that tweet out to the time that I put pencil to paper uh, on issue one was maybe uh, five months or so, which was perfect because I still needed to finish the fourth Hip Hop Family Tree book. So finished that up. I took about a month and and then started uh, drawing the that, the first issue of uh, Grand Design that's going to come out um at the end of December. That's excellent, man. No, I uh, and I got a preview uh, issue of issue one, forty fantastic pages, and uh, I'm I'm really glad. I hope that uh, fans of hip hop will, will you know check this out. I imagine they will, and I always am excited when um, you know uh, more distinct creators like yourself get a chance at playing in either DC or Marvel's universes. And, you know, we've had things in the past like Bizarro Comics at DC and wasn't it Strange Tales at, at Marvel a couple years ago that had a lot of uh, more indie uh, creators. And, and forgive the distinction, but you know what I mean. And, you know, we're basically doing it for the audience to kind of say it. But I yeah. I, I love it, man. I mean, obviously you're a longtime X-Men fan because um, this this is a great first 40 pages that you know, I guess you know you're te- you're telling the history of of the X Men. How how long will the series of Grand Design last? There are going to be six issues total. Okay, um, and they're they're going to come out in in kind of two issue arcs. Um, so the first arc comes out December January. Then there will be a trade paperback uh, that comes out in April. And I'm not quite sure what the schedule is for the second arc. Uh, that's something I'm going to talk to to Marvel about because, you know, I am the only person doing the creative work on this. So I am the bottleneck um, and I absolutely will not rush my work. Uh, this this is a, an extremely intensive project, given all the research required to put it together. <laughs> 
uh, and I'm not going to take any shortcuts um, to just churn out pages. Um, so I have the third issue finished and I'm about a quarter of the way done with the fourth issue. Once I hit the halfway point, I'm going to have that conversation with, with Marvel about like, okay, what if we put out this second arc, you know, in the summer of 2018 or something like that. Okay. Um, but there'll be six issues total. That's cool. So it's, so yeah, um, the first issue is 40 pages. Are they all going to be like 40 page single issues? Yeah, there, uh, for the most part, yeah. Like I convinced them to give me an extra page in in issue three, um, because I had to. I had to. The entire project is about trying to write past wrongs and um, get everything to work together in in like a really cogent, um, streamlined, cohesive way. Okay. And there's a, like. There's this one thing that always bothered me in those early um, Claremont Claremont X Men mm-hmm. comics, mm-hmm. where it was like the transition bet- from uh, Dave Cockrum as artist to John Byrne, and they're, the X Men are on this uh, weird like moon with the Emcron crystal, and and uh, the crystal makes the universe blink out of existence, but. Um, you know the creative team only had 17 pages to play with so when the so when the entirety of of uh universal existence blinks out of uh, of of time or whatever okay. um it's it's relegated to this like super tiny little panel uh and it happens in both issues like the first John Byrne issue it happens in when they do a recap and it happens in the Dave Cockham so like i told them like you got to give me like a whole page at least just to have the universe blink out because it's like an important moment. You sure. know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, that's, that's like a mere example of what I'm trying to do with this project um, to just try to give all of the most important moments um, their time to shine and, and to focus on the bigger picture rather than the small um, personal dramatic moments um, of character interplay that Chris, Chris Claremont's so, uh, so famous for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally am just more interested in sharing with people, um, the broader ideas, the broader concepts. Um, I'm very excited about bringing new readers into the fold because X-Men is known for it's kind of convoluted, um, sprawling, uh, history. And, you know, everybody who knows me knows that I'm a fan of X-Men comics. Uh, very often, you know, a girlfriend or somebody will will um, try to relate or, or out of curiosity, they'll ask me, like, what is the X-Men comic I should read? You know, like, sure. what's so great about it? <laughs> and and I, just, I just never had a good answer. Absolutely, man. Um, I just never had a good answer. So, so uh, I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm going to, like, you know, read this. And if this is interesting, then you could jump on board to the bigger thing. That's excellent, man. No, and you know, truly, I uh, Word Balloon listeners might know going back years, I've always said there were two doors when I was a kid. There was a Legion of Superheroes door and there was an X-Men door. And I went through the Legion of Superheroes door. Not disliking the X-Men, but like you say, th- I mean, and especially by the time Claremont was really up and running, 
um, it, sometimes it really did feel impenetrable in terms of where to, where to <laughs> jump in. I mean, I read things like God Loves, Man Kills, and I've I've come in over the years, especially since doing the podcast, when some of my favorite writers have have gone into the X Men world, and I and I've checked out a few arcs here and there, and I've followed Wolverine on his own. But you're right. It, this is this is a really interesting opportunity, and especially coming through your point of view, which is so distinct. So when beyond the comics themselves, because clearly you are doing your due diligence in terms of checking out the history and representing it, uh, I think in really really fun ways, especially in this first issue, and and really those early years. Um, when you get to the periods of people like Claremont and his work and stuff. Because I compare it to what you did with Hip Hop Family Tree, um, are you going to talk to uh, Claremont at all while you're making this, or have you? Uh, yeah, I, I have actually. Um, I went to New York Comic Con back in October. Okay. And you know the con lasts from Thursday to Sunday or something like sure. this. Yeah. I landed pretty early on Wednesday. Spent the day with Chris at, at his place. Um, and, and we talked for hours and hours and it was a good conversation. Um, I brought up the, the fact that, uh, there are certain things that I'm going to have to kind of massage or, or finesse to get to work in, in a, in a, in a, in in a way that appeals to my taste. And, uh, and he was like, Ed, there is no finessing some of this stuff is a cluster f word <laughs> <I swear. laughs> um it, it that was really great to hear straight from him too uh because things were dropped on his head as he was writing these comics and he had a certain destination of where he wanted to take everything but then these curveballs came at him that he was required to to include or um, these directions were mandated that he, he, he go down and it, it makes for a very clunky set of stories here and there. So I want to try to fix some of that or at least build up to these moments in a more elegant way so that there's some true payoff rather than just, uh, you know, an example I could give in the, in the regular series is that, um, Scott Summers Cyclops establishes this relationship with uh, a woman named Madeline Pryor, who looks like a spitting image of his past love, Jean Grey. Mm -hmm. He marries this lady. He has a kid (laughs) with Madeline. And then all of a sudden, Jean Grey comes back to life and he just cold disses his wife and kid. (laughs) You know, how how heroic is that? And, and, And it gets and it gets no real play. Um, it just is a matter of fact rather than a dramatic moment in the story. It's, it's, it's really, it's really terrible. Um, yeah. So I'm going to try to uh, try to get that to make a little bit more sense and, and have some structure rather than just like this abrupt thing, just because Jim Shooter wanted to create X factor. <laughs> no. Which is exactly what it was. Okay. And beyond Chris, are there other X creators or people like Shooter? that you might talk to as well to get it. Because that's the thing. I really, I love the fact that you did that with Hip Hop Family Tree. And of course, we're dealing with real people and real events and things like that. So how much of the editorial side and choices 
and and the opportunity to talk to those people who made those choices are playing into grand design. Uh, in terms of the the plot structure and stuff like that, Chris is the guy. Um, okay. As far as I'm con- as far as I'm concerned, X Men ends with with his run. Um, certainly for 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 me. Okay. Um, but um, artistically, I'm allowing myself to indulge in all of the artistic influences that have inspired me um, f- from X Men and beyond. So. Uh, for instance, like in this first issue that you see, that that you checked out, um, there's there's a panel where where Angel is like either hiding his wings or he's he's getting undressed from being being uh, saddled down and, and and hiding his his uh his, his angel wings. Yeah. Uh, the 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 art basically, I sampled directly from Jack Kirby in issue one of X-Men. Sure. And there's, and there are several uh, examples of that throughout all the issues where, you know, I don't profess to have the, the answer to all creative problems. And, you know, if Neil Adams draws an amazing composition of the Sentinels flying into the sun, I'm going to kind of reference that rather than try to reinvent the wheel. Sure. Um, so that's an, that's the thing where, where Hip Hop Family Tree kind of inspired my the ability to sample. It kind of made made it okay for me to kind of because I, you know I'm such a big fan of rap music and yeah. and uh, you know these guys took James Brown and and George Clinton and took little snippets from old music that hasn't been dusted off in a long time and and then they'd make something new mm-hmm. and. And that's kind of what I'm doing with this comic on the artistic sense. So Chris Claremont's my guy when it comes to the structure of the plot and story, but the the art references all the great X-Men artists and beyond. So even people like uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, who did Akira. Okay. Um, there's some. There's a little bit of Erge, Tintin in there. Um, <laughs> a lot of stuff. Windsor McKay. Out of one, very nice. <laughs> yeah, you'll see you'll see that in issue two. Oh, very good. Oh, interesting. I look for well again. That's the thing, man. I, I, I your your influences come through. Your presentation is always exciting and unique. And um, down to I love how you always and you did this with Hip Hop Family Tree as well. Um, the look of the paper has that aged look, and um, where it almost gets peach colored. In terms of uh, of of what the, the the galleys and the gutters look like around the panels, and um, I used to have um, old uh, Spirit comics from the seventies, and I wasn't sure if the paper itself was peach colored that it was printed on, <laughs> or it just aged that way. And I got to meet Will Eisner before I was even doing Word Balloon back in two thousand two, and had him sign a couple. And I even asked him and said, yeah, I go, why did they use peach-colored paper? He's like, no, that's how, that's how it aged and stuff. Your presentation and the way that you make comics really does make it look like we're looking at some sort of historical document um, of, of the, the subjects that you're covering. I, uh, I have more comics that look like what you described than the glossy, computer-colored stuff of, of today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we were to take a survey of of the average 
American and and um, ask them what they think comics is. It's closer to what I do than what, frankly, Marvel or DC puts out today. You know, people and I think that might have a lot to do with certainly the ubiquity of comics uh, back in the day compared to now. Um, but you know, the pop art movement might have had a lot to do with that too. You always see you always see hipster girls on Halloween dressed like uh, you know they have like a Lichtenstein costume. <laughs> sure. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah. So, so it's important for me to to kind of capture that spirit. I just like that aesthetic. Um, and you know, if uh, if they were more prepared, and I'm talking about printers back in the day. If they if they had some some foresight, um, they would have just put a couple bales of newsprint to the side to let them age and turn that oxidized peach color. Because that's um, it almost acts in the same way as an under underpainting does when you're when you're using oils, where you have like a monochromatic yellow to brown structure underneath that makes all the colors you apply on top work together. Mm-hmm. Because that's ultimately what what happens when when the when you know like say the Kirby X Men was printed initially they had those poppy bright colors that were all kind of competing with one another. It almost looked like a candy bowl of color, but then, you know, you just have to wait 40 years, take a look at that stuff and and the colors are sublime and they all work together in a really, really beautiful way um, because of that yellow kind of undertone. Um, And, you know, that's the approach that I try to capture with the aesthetic of my stuff. And, uh, we had to we had to cut off the the final order date for the shops a little bit earlier than than normal because I insisted that um, Marvel print my stuff on the closest approximation to old newsprint that they can find uh, and have a glossy cover and all that, which is just simply not done by Marvel or DC anymore. They have they have these glossy slick comics that have the same cover stock as the interior pages. And I just don't want that. So unless Marvel is lying to me, um, this comic should feel, it should look and feel like a comic that you remember rather than just a run of the mill stuff that they put out nowadays. That's fantastic, man, because you're right. I think ironically the attempt to upgrade the pages and, and, and make a slicker page and I, you know, I'm sure you remember. Well, you may not because you're slightly younger than me. But I remember when Baxter paper was all the rage, and we were seeing, yeah, for sure. you know, all that stuff in the '80s print that way. And um, I agree. You know, Gotham Central, I think, is one of the last uh, comics that, as it was coming out in the early 2000s, was still being printed on news rag and and that kind of old fashioned paper. And it it works for certain types of art. And again, you're you're certainly trying to capture that kind of sil- silver age and also independent look and everything. And I really do think that's missing from a lot of today's comics. And it will be interesting to see what the what the final product looks like and feels like because it does. It um, yeah, clearly you're using, I'm assuming, a color palette. This is a layman talking that uh, is a bit more muted and not as uh, you know lush in terms of 
the attempt to do, you know, art on, on this slick paper versus the old news rag that, that comics used for decades. Am I right? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, you know, modern Marvel or, or DC comic, if they were, if they were to print on this extremely absorbent paper, um, with the kind of lens flares and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, computer chicanery yeah. that they apply to their color. Um, and certainly a lot of, a lot of dark inks. Um, it would just look like a mess on, on like a newsprint. So those comics are built for glossy paper. My comics are built for a more matted kind of paper. Um, and you know, hopefully I'm quite sure Marvel will go, go along with, with the play. Like that's what they said. But I just, you know, show me the money, man. Like when, when I see it, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it. Um, but the other thing too, like I just turned in um, the files for the trade paperback uh, and it's going to be the same format as Hip Hop Family Tree, which uh, is about twice the size of your average comic. Fantastic. Uh, in terms of just scale. Sure. Um, and it's, you know, it's pretty close to the Marvel Treasury size uh, of of the late seventies, early eighties. Oh yeah. So that's another that's another past wrong that I'm writing because it was never an X Men Treasury edition. So at the end of this project, there will be three of them, and I'm reprinting a classic story in each one. So this first trade is going to have um, X Men One by Stan and Jack, and I'm a uh, recoloring that too because i i just don't like um i don't like how any any of the kirby reprints look for any company basically um when they just drop these these really bright weird colors um and and when they use computer coloring on kirby it just it takes all the kirby out of kirby so for my money it's going to be like the best Jack Kirby color reprint in existence, and and I I I will die on that hill defending that statement. That's outstanding. Hey, that's great, man. Who who was uh, the original colors? Do you know? Was it uh, Marie Severin? Was it Stan Goldberg? I know they were uh, Marvel colorists back in those those early Silver Age days. Yeah, it, you know, uh, as as you know, um, the colorist was was uncredited on the pages. But at that time, if I had to place a bet, I would say Stan Goldberg. Okay. Uh, because, because Marie, I believe comes in a little bit after that. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes but, sense. You know, yeah. I, but I could, I could be wrong though, but I'm quite sure that it's uh, Goldberg. That's one of my massive regrets. I got to meet Stan a couple of times, Goldberg and, and meant to have him on. And unfortunately he passed away before, I had that opportunity. I believe that's correct. I believe he has passed away. I know he had a big car accident a few years ago, and I know that kind of pissed him up for a while. Yeah, right near the end. So uh, I only, for for so long, I only knew him from Archie comics. Sure. And then and then people were like, "Nah, man." You, I, I forget where I discovered. You know, you find all this like little trivial information and drips and drabs your whole life, and yeah, then man. you you never know where you d- discovered it. But when I found out that he had this. Uh, illustrious past at Marvel and, and, you know, basically created all the colors of all the iconic uh, superheroes that, that Kirby and, and um, Steve Ditko visually created. Um, you know, the, the man has, has stripes. He should, he should go down as a legend in, 
in comics history. No question, and and you're right. And also, yeah, like specifically beyond Archie, his contributions to the look of Marvel Comics. And I know what you mean about the modern uh, recoloring sometimes. I, I appreciate it as an experiment, but at the end of the day, it does almost feel like when uh, Ted Turner was colorizing uh, classic black and white in, uh, in <laughs> it's exactly that. Yeah, it just yeah, it's exactly it's just that. Interesting experiment, but yeah, it takes away from you know the tools that they had. And in fact, an early conversation I had with Neil Adams, he told me about how he talked to Saul Harrison and kind of doubled the color palette from like twenty four to forty eight or whatever the whatever the number was. Um, because it was just well, that's how we've always done it. And Neil kind of came in in the in the sixties and seventies and said, no, you know, if you tweak it a little bit, you know, you can really expand the palette. And it was more of a natural progression rather than imposing, I think, the modern color schemes on uh, on some of the classic stuff. So so that's great. And also funny that you mention the lack of treasury sized, uh, Mar- you know, X Men books because yeah, with the exception maybe of the Teen Titans crossover. That's really probably I, I I hadn't realized because I used to buy all of that stuff when it was coming out, both DC and Marvel, and I totally forgot that you know there were no, other than the Titans crossover there were no X Men Treasury editions. So that that's interesting too. I was wondering with given that you're you know you're going to be putting these out as far as trades two issues at a time. So you know as far as far as original story maybe eighty pages. Are we going to get process pages as well? And as you say, we're going to get X Men one in the first issue. Or in the first uh, arc when it's when it's trade published and everything, are there any other bonus things that are co- going to come out either in the comic itself or in the treasury edition? Uh, def- definitely, um, I you know I'm a, I'm a control freak, so I'm handling the design of of the trade, and um, there a, a good book kind of works like a music album, uh, and or even you know, the beginning part of the book, to me, it's like an an overture before a Broadway musical or something. So there's all this stuff to consider. Um, Not only is it going to have, you know, the best Kirby color reprint uh, in in existence for my money, but it might be one of the best design Marvel books uh, since since, uh, the Omega, the unknown that John Latham and... Farrell Dalrymple and Paul Hornschmeyer put together because that was a beautifully designed book. Yes. Um, but I am including a lot of, a lot of extra stuff. And uh, in that first trade, there's this feature um, about, well, I don't want to spoil it, but it, it basically um, is evidence that this comic for me is, is 35 years in the making. So there's a five page, feature that I have in there that um that is really like when I show this thing off people are really kind of blown away by by uh the material it's definitely the best bonus stuff that's been in a Marvel comic for a long time interesting okay is that your own kind of personal journey with the X-Men this five page thing yeah it is it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of art from my whole life kind of building up to this moment it kind of it kind of tells the story behind the story um and then and then we you know and then it's going to jump into the the kirby the kirby x-men with with my coloring on top like 
yeah, I think it's going to be about a 120 page book that, um, you know, extremely sexy, man. My, uh, <laughs> my, I, I, I think with the, the, the book in mind, you know, the issues are for the people who through inertia go to the comic shop on Wednesdays. You bet. And, and there are market considerations that I have to abide by with that. So there will be some, some ads here and there, and we have to follow the standard format because, you know, fans get, get hemorrhoids if uh, they can't bag and board their comics. <laughs> um, but, but the book, the book is something different. The book, even, even the, uh, the cover, I, I, I chose a very kind of simple design that communicates the idea of what the X-Men is in a very quick notion. Like you will, you will look at this book and you will understand the concept of X-Men with this single image, because I've always been interested in creating readers rather, rather than just being another person who's um, indulging the existing pool of readership. Like I, I I really want um, cartoonists to have consideration for people on the outside uh, more than they generally do. Um, And it's been a big benefit to me um, to do that. You know, I brought hip hop people into, into the comic book game after, after they left uh, when they were kids or maybe they've never given comics a shot. I did that before with uh, computer hacker comic. Um, so this is going to introduce people to X-Men for the first time. And it's, it's going to be, uh, you know, an, an elegant experience. If, if I, if I have my way, you know, once again, going to mimic the paper stock of hip hop family tree, uh, for the big trade, which, which is pretty close to, um, the paper that was used on those old treasury editions. Um, so Hopefully it'll it'll all all come together in a really nice way. That's excellent, man, and really looking forward to it. And glad that it can sit next to Hip Hop Family Tree on a shelf for for people who've been following your own personal journey journey in comics, and all that stuff will kind of look nice on a bookshelf together. But also making the concessions for the Wednesday Warriors with with the monthly comics. I'm I'm interested, and I'm glad that you mentioned that Axel is the guy that greenlit this project and obviously we're at a point now just a week or so ago where Axel uh, left Marvel and it reminds me sometimes of when a movie is in the middle of production and a studio changes hands. Um, Have you had a chance to talk to uh, CB Sobolski or any other of the powers that be since Axel has, uh, you know, left Marvel and how has that impacted the production of this project? Uh, like you said, it's such, it's such a new development that uh, CB was living in Shanghai, sure, and he has to he has to come move back to New York. So I want to give the guy a little bit of time to to get over jet lag and <laughs> and probably an insane email inbox full of sycophants, you know, and uh, and freelancers trying to keep their jobs and, and like all that kind of thing. Sure, um, you know. Hopefully, everything stays cool. You know, like I look forward to to working with CB. I'd like to talk to him because I could see, I could see. Um, well, 
I like to shoot for the stars and I'm doing everything I can to make like a really beautiful book for Marvel. And, uh, what if this reigns in the, the new era of, um, you know, beautifully designed collections, you know, what if I can, what if I can convince CB that that would be an interesting way to go? Um, what if, uh, this, this effort becomes, uh, you know, the first kind of indie comics effort that's like taken seriously where, you know, like you mentioned, bizarre, bizarro comics and strange tales. Um, you, you could ask probably any of the cartoonists who participated in any of those. They were just doing little jerk off things, you know, like, <laughs> I know what like, you mean. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, a, here's, here's a little five pager sure. and I'm going to have Iron Man fighting a giant hot dog, like, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, but but what if what if this thing is a hit and it inspires Marvel to bring more kind of auteur creators into the fold to let them do their thing? I think that those are two of the big possibilities we could have. And when I talk to CB, I'm going to mention that those things. Like, listen, man, let's let's um let's not do just piecemeal slap together collections. Like, we can make. You, we, you have this amazing library of stuff. Um, let's present it in an extremely beautiful way. And, and it can be, it could be a, a, a new requirement in terms of uh, comp market competition for the big two. And, and, you know, what if uh, in the, in the way that Karen Berger was able to grab all of these interesting British voices in the eighties and yeah. brought them and created a kind of new wave. What if, uh, because at this moment right now with me talking to you, um, Marvel has created a goodwill ambassador to the indie comics universe, man, because I could talk to anybody and say, listen, uh, I'm having fun and I'm, they're letting me do my thing. They're not, they're not sweating me yep. because that's, that's all, that's always been what, what made cartoonists of, of, of my, universe nervous sure. about ever working for for them and and i was nervous too you know i, I didn't uh cash my checks for six months because <laughs> because i was nervous that at the end they would make me change things or you know they would bring in some uh intern to re-letter my comic or something like that and that's just not been the case they've been totally into everything i've been doing so if it's a hit the market decides and uh you know, they're going to want to replicate that uh, kind of sure. success or whatever. Sure. Um, so it's an interesting new era, and I look forward to it. Um, you know, ho hopefully hopefully it all works out. Well, I think it and will. If not, and, and, and if not, and if not, then I'll just do Hip Hop Family Tree 5 and, and uh, <laughs> you know, keep all the money. <laughs> keep all the money. I won't share with them. I think the good. But I'd news, like to finish what I started. I'd like to finish what I started. I hear you, man. No, and I and honestly, I, I appreciate where you're coming from, and I honestly b do believe that both in the case of Axel Alonso and CB Sabolski, I think they're like-minded that way. I mean, CB really has that kind of track record when he was running other companies, and certainly even in his capacity at Marvel, it, it has been you know going around and trying to find new art styles. Uh, for the company and stuff. And I do think that, as you say, there is kind of a house 
kind of style to both DC and Marvel. Guys like Trad Moore were able to come in and and do their thing at at Marvel and and, and keep their style. Um, beyond, like you said about Vertigo, in the early two thousands when um, Greg Rucka and Sean Martinborough were doing Detective, it was the freshest looking Batman I had ever seen. And it's literally when I came back to comics. And I've and I've said this to Rucka, and I've told this in in messaging to Martinborough. I'm like, it was you. You guys were part of the reason why I came back to comics. Oming and Bendis doing uh, Powers and doing a crime comic in that sort of cartoony way. So yeah, we've had little bursts of that here and there. But again, mostly it's been, um, with the exceptions of things like Martinborough and Rucka doing Detective and stuff. Um, sometimes it is just, you know, create your own comics and the image movement that have allowed for things like that. And, uh, no, you're right. I think, I think a shakeup is in order. It's going to be very interesting. Have you heard from the Wednesday warrior X-Men fan community, what their take on this is? Has it been positive? Has it been negative? I, uh, I have not looked at all. And I've battened down to my social media hatches <laughs> so that they can't, they can't even get to me. Um, I, I have to feel like, I have to feel like, uh, I have to feel confident in, in what I'm doing to, um, to make, to make this, to make this work. Sure. Um, I can't be second guessing myself and, uh, you know, the stereotypical Wednesday warrior really needs some, some vitamin D and, uh, and, and yeah, a little, a little sunlight, uh, they need to get rid of that nervous energy, the, the energy that compels them to get online and, uh, and, and diss people and all that kind of thing. So I'm just preparing for that because okay. I go to the comic shop, you know, yeah. and I hear the conversations and I'm not a part of that. And I am a creative person and a creative person's job is to give you what you don't even know you need, basically. Sure. Uh, you know, fans have a certain idea of what they want, but if they knew, if they really knew what they wanted, they would just make it. Uh, that's our job. Um, so I haven't heard from them. Okay. Uh, I hope, I hope, you know, it receives support, of course, but I'm really going for new readers for this. Mm-hmm. That's really important to me. Um, and, and hopefully people get excited about the X-Men. What you said earlier about, about the two camps, the, the Legion of Superheroes camp and um, the X-Men camp. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was born in, in 82. So okay. we'll say that I really started collecting comics and say, 80, 87 or so. Okay. Um, where, you know, I was able to read when I was five or whatever. Sure. Um, and Legion of Superheroes, and this is no, no diss, man, please don't take it as oh, such. Oh, not at all. Go but, on, please. <laughs> but, 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 but the Legion of Superheroes was considered real corny to, um, to, to my peer group. Sure. Looking back, we're just like, what is this? Is this bouncing boy? Like all, like all this kind of thing. <laughs> I, I fear that um, that is what my X-Men is to like a current crop because I, I did a, um, for Axel, when they were doing the, the hip hop covers, I did a, I did an X-Men hip hop cover. Okay. How was that? And I had, uh, it was, it was apparently super well received, but it was the least fun I've ever had in comics. Interesting. Um, because I had, 
I had no connection to any of these characters. Um, I didn't know that there was a, a girl Wolverine. I didn't know, like, Angel had these weird wings that I didn't even understand. They have flames. Um, it was not a fun gig. Um, <laughs> I understand. And, and yeah, as, I was, as I was drawing it, I literally felt like, uh, and I expressed this to my friends, I'm like, this might as well be like Legion of Superheroes I'm drawing, because it's like, <laughs> I just have no connection. And then it got me thinking, like, oh, no, what if, what if, like, you know, the Jim Lee X-Men is Legion of Superheroes to, to uh, like, the new crop, and they just consider this stuff corny. So it's like I have to do a showcase of, like, everything that is really cool about the X-Men. Um, yeah, man. You know, and, and that's sort of what the project is in a way. Sure. A thesis statement on the coolness of X-Men. Well, you know, and honestly, I'm glad you said that because truly that has been one of the things that has kept me from today's X-Men and Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction. I love those guys. I love what they do. I love their writing. I think they're they're fun to have on Word Balloon when they come on as well. And I remember at the beginning of their X-Men arc, and they're like, we're really going to focus on Pixie. I'm like, who the fuck is Pixie? And like, oh, yeah, yeah I don't even know what that well, is. Well, there you go, man. Exactly. And I'm like, you know, and that's the thing. Much like um, the Legion having its hundreds of, of members over the years, and especially after a certain point, you're like, oh, my God. Um, and again, you know, when I got into not to defend myself, but I guess I will for a little bit, you know, I was a five year old kid and that kind of simple Silver Age because they were still reprinting a lot of the 50s and 60s stuff that Kurt Swan uh, style, which I really adore. And and it's so just great for kids and, and, you know, from a storybook way and not to condescend in, in terms of Kurt Swan's greatness, because I do really think he's a master when it comes to showing emotion on characters faces. But that was my introduction to the Legion, and I really did grow up with the Cochrane and Mike Grell versions, and as their art got more sophisticated, and you're right, there are goofy characters like Bouncing Boy and Matter Eater Lad, and, you know, God, the, the Legion of Substitute Heroes speaks for themselves. But, um, yeah, the same <laughs> thing kind of happened, like you said, where in my mind, Jim Lee's X-Men and all the others, it was great when uh, a couple years ago they had the big event. And and Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, declares, no more mutants. Okay, no more mutants. Just, you know, 485 mutants. And I'm like, too many mutants. Too many X-Men. <laughs> I don't know who these people are. And I don't care. And, and, I, and I sometimes feel that way. And that also, I think, gives us an sure. idea, too, of what you're going to focus on, where I'm assuming you're kind of focusing on that uh, core group of the original five, in addition to... Len Wein and, and uh, you know, uh, the new X-Men that came uh, after the Neil Adams run when they started making original X-Men comics again. So, how f yeah, how far how far into the history are you going into with this? I don't want to tip your hand if you don't want to say, but I'll ask the question anyway. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's uh, my experience with X-Men is covers about 280 issues, pretty much when Chris Claremont leaves. I leave like like I stayed around for a while, but that Fabian Nicieze stuff and, and Scott Lobdell, mm -hmm. that was for me, that was like the methadone stage to, to like wean me off, man, because I'm like, you know, this I just wasn't feeling it. But through it, just inertia and, you know, the art was always good. Um, yeah. I like I liked uh, when when John Romita Jr. came back. I liked uh, Joe Matarero a sure, lot. Sure, sure. 
Um, so I'll stick around for those guys, but they're essentially unreadable uh, to me. I hear you, man. Um, so it'll cover about those those issues, but it's not going to be clean. Um, some stuff's going to get cut out. Uh, I might include I might include Bishop. I, I I have a way to include Bishop in a way that um, you know he's introduced in like two eighty one or or something like that. Okay. Um, so it's not going to be that clean, but I, I do promise that, um, unlike every other serialized comic in existence, uh, this, this story will have a beginning, middle and end will stand alone. It'll be held up on its own. And it, it's, it basically trims, trims a lot of fat. You know, I'm taking 8,000 pages of stuff and turning it into a 240 page graphic novel, basically. Cool. That's great, man. No, I'm I'm really excited for this project, and uh, you know I I haven't even seen your uh, cover for the uh, the magazine version, you know the fir- the first issue of uh, Grand Grand Design, um, because all they gave me was the guts, the forty pages of the story itself. So I'm really excited to see what you do, uh, both on the newsstand and then also when when the first trade uh, pops out. The trade will come out in March. Possibly, or you, uh, you know when it's coming? I, out? I, I think it's yeah. I think it's uh, sub- scheduled for April fourth. Oh, April. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So issue one. Yeah, issue one comes out on the twentieth of December, and then I think it's just two weeks later when issue two comes out, and then a uh, couple months to breathe, and then uh, the the trade the trade will be out. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and then and then, and then sometime in in twenty eighteen. Um. The, the next wave will, will be out. Yeah. Cool, man. No, this is this is great. Truly, I, I you know, I remember when uh, Busick and uh, Alex Ross were doing Marvels, you know, twenty twenty plus years ago, and it was the same kind of excitement in terms of um, a reexamination of the Marvel history presented in a different way. And uh, no, I, I you know, Hip Hop and Family True was such a revelation for me, and and also again, much like the X Men. You know, I appreciated hip hop and certainly some of the early stuff. I had no idea of of the history until I really started reading your your volumes and stuff. And it's uh, it's been such a great journey learning more. You know, even um, after reading your stuff, when I saw it, what did you think of the HBO uh, one season series vinyl and how they? You know what? Uh, I never saw it. Okay, because they kind of touched I've, on that be- those beginning years and even went a little earlier than what I thought was the real story. And I had to talk to New Yorkers because I'm like, shouldn't this stuff be happening in like 1975 and this thing is set in 1973? And again, kind of in that way, and I don't know how it was in Pittsburgh and stuff, but like maybe Chicago was just kind of behind the curve of New York's, you know, music scene and L.A.'s music scene where maybe it took a year or two for hip-hop to kind of come to us when it was already happening quietly you know, at house parties and and on the streets and stuff, as it was in New York. I don't know. Right? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was literally that. You know, they that thing had hip hop had room to breathe for a little while before they started playing down uh, the game changers when they started playing shows and art galleries in in Manhattan, where you know, scared white people didn't have to go up to the Bronx to discover it. You know, they they could just they could just do it right there in the middle of, of money making Manhattan and, and, um, you know, plenty of writers and, and media people were around. So that's, that's when you get, you know, the 2020, 
uh, piece, uh, video piece about hip hop and it started to, to spread from, from that. So of course it, it existed for a while before um, it started to spread its, its tentacles around the, um, the country and, and, the, and the world, you know, that, that was actually what in, inspired me to, to make the comic just like, let me see what are all the component pieces uh, involved to, to kind of spread the word about this culture from this very small place on the, on the outskirts of, uh, of New York. And, you know, how did this, this spread a, a, around the country and the world in such a, such a vast dramatic way. What, uh, so where have you left things? Cause forgive me, I didn't read volume four yet. Um, so mm-hmm. where are you in the, in the hip hop chronology right now with your history of hip hop? About 1985, um, pretty, pretty watershed year. Yeah. Like, like in, in, in the fourth, in the fourth volume, I think I cover no less than, um, four or maybe five feature films, um, about, you know, hip hop and rap music and break dance. Uh, Tell me the movies from that era. So, because obviously I was aware so be, of them, but maybe not paying attention. So go ahead. Yeah, it would be it would be uh, breaking one and two. Sure, they came out in the same year. Believe it or not, that's insane. Um, it is. Uh, so breaking one and two, Beat Street, Crush Groove, and I, I guess uh, the movie Rappin' with Mario Van Peebles. Crazy. So made made by the made by the Breaking People. Um, so five feature films, and, and there might have been a documentary or two in that mix too. So that's that's a long way of saying um, that hip hop became way more ubiquitous once it was in movie theaters and spread out. And you you know how feature film kind of has a way of legitimizing uh, a, a culture, or, or you know it, it may yes. the, these Marvel flicks may be in a nerd cool. You know, Absolutely. like uh, I, I see, I, I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of tough guys going to, um, to go check out Guardians of the Galaxy and wearing shirts with Groot on it and shit. Yep, hundred um, so. percent. No, and you're right because even prior to the hip hop movement, you know, Saturday Night Live. Oh my God, it, you know, disco exploded with Saturday, Saturday Night Live. Sadly, old enough to remember that sea change from rock to disco. That's interesting. And, and yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, man. And, and truly. And I mean, you know, as, as someone that is such a, a movie buff, I even like watching those crazy Frankie Avalon, Annette Funicello beach movies that are ridiculous. But in those movies, you get this incredible Dick Dale rock, you know, segment or Jesus, Stevie Wonder when he was still little Stevie Wonder and 14 or 15 years oh, yeah. old and these amazing performances from these from these touchstone 60s acts so no you're right man those Alan Freed movies from the 50s that again when you look at the actual drama that's going on it's atrocious but here's the platters here's Chuck Berry you know the girl can't help it a great 50s movie that opens with um little Richard singing his ass off in in you know, uh, Cinemascope and Technicolor and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's great. So, yeah, I couldn't get past, you know, Shabadoo in, in Breaking and uh, Breaking 2. So, shame on me, man. I should have been paying more attention to the music and stuff. So, and you're right. I think these Marvel movies represent the same kind of cultural shift. No question. I think about um, just on, on Thanksgiving Day, I spent, I spent a good portion of the day over at my folks' place just, just hanging out. 
And, um, you know, we we're in our, our to- turkey coma and, <laughs> and I told my pops, told my pops that, uh, there's a new Netflix Punisher show. And we, and we sat there for, you know, three hours watching a couple episodes. That's great. And then it got me thinking about, you know, reflecting on about 25 years ago when, um, he and I were doing the same thing with the Dolph Lundgren Punisher flick. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, that was all we had back then. We had, yeah, we had, which by the way, I actually liked all the aesthetics of Dolph Lundgren as, as Punisher a whole lot. Like, like in, when I think of Punisher, like I think of him, even though this, uh, this new guy is, is really good. Sure. Um, but it's like, we had that, we had Captain America with the, with the rubber ears. Red Brown. Um, or no, are you thinking yeah. of the Matt Salinger movie from the early 90s? Yeah, the early 90s. Okay, that's, yeah, Matt Salinger, and then, sure. And then, and then uh, you know, on the, on the sci-fi channel on, like, Easter, they would have the Mighty Marvel Mutant, <laughs> no, the Mighty Marvel Marathon or something. <laughs> and and we, I would just get three Memorex tapes and put them on EP, oh, yeah. you know, like the seven-hour uh, recording speed. <laughs> And record like the old Doctor Strange movie the and 70s. and the um that really crappy Spider Man seventies show oh, yeah. and every single episode of the Lou Ferrigno plus the two movies with Thor and Daredevil. Yes. Like like that's all we had, you know? Yeah, and man. and um I just saw did you see um the 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 flick called uh, the documentary called Doomed yes. about um the the Roger Corman uh, Fantastic Four? Yes, I have. It was uh, fantastic. When I was a little dude, I rented Carnosaur two or three over and over again because the trailer was at the beginning of that. Like I never, I, I've never to this, to this day, I can never tell you what happened in Carnosaur <laughs> two. Uh, but I just watched that trailer over and over again, man. So it's like I've been waiting for this era to come, and um. And here we are, you know. Absolutely, man. No, and I and and uh, you know, I, again, old enough to have seen those '70s Marvel movies when they were first on TV when I was a little kid. And you're right. I mean, that's why even those ridiculous uh, superhero roasts that they did with the DC heroes, we were all over that shit because it's Adam West and Burt Ward, you know, ten or fifteen years after Batman '66. So we're of course we're excited. It's fucking Batman and Robin and Jesus. There's Hawkman with legitimately decent looking wings. And, you know, I got to meet Charlie Callis, the comedian who played Sinestro on those cheese ball specials. And I'm like, dude, I got to tell you, you are Sinestro. And his eyes got wide. They naturally would get wide because that was part of his act because he was a bug eyed comedian. But he's like, okay, I can check that off the list. He goes, every city I play, there's at least one or two of you that remember that like, one <laughs> knockoff throwaway special I did and can't help but tell me how much I really look like Sinestro. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man. I mean, like, it's like Gil Kane was like, you know, had you sit down and, and helped uh, design the character based <laughs> on your looks. It was insane. So, yeah, man. It, I, I, you know, yeah, that's what we had. I mean, now I sound like uh, uh, Dana Carvey used to on SNL when he was the old man. That's what we had, and we loved it. We didn't care. We loved it. <laughs> That's that thing, man. Like uh, every now and again, and it, it was sort of my excuse for for why I saw Star Wars Episode One so many times. Like, uh, there's like a, sta- a famous saying that's like, uh, you know, if you can't be with the the one you love, love the one you're with, man. Uh, <laughs> Stills, yes, sir. So you know, absolutely, yeah, it's, it's, you're killing me, man. That's, that's all we had. 
Well, you see, there you go, Ed. Now, you have <laughs> the right sensibility about this stuff. And, again, it comes through in your work. And it's it honors it. And um, but there, and I don't, you know, I, I don't think you're, you're not parroting it per se. I, I, you know, how would you describe how you do, like how you're doing these Marvel books? I mean, what, what would you say other than, you know, hey, it's just my style and everything. Clearly there is love for this product, but there are little, like quick little jokes and just, you can't help but like look at like the Golden Age heroes. Um, I love the fact that you touch upon uh, Namor and and the Human Torch and their their classic battle. It's such a a touchstone moment, not only fictionally in Marvel's history, but also the creative force behind that book being produced. And you know the famous story of you know Martin Goodman telling you know Carl Burroughs and um, and now I'm blanking on uh, who the Human Torch uh, Bill, artist Bill Bill Everett. Oh, yeah, Bill Everett, the Submariner, exactly. You know, yeah, great guys have that on my desk. You know, Monday morning or whatever. And then having this massive artist jam session of, all right, we got to fucking do this book now that we promised. And it is this incredible story that still holds up. And then I love the little twist of, guess what? That's the first mutant encounter of the Marvel Universe, or at least the first documented one. So you- It's the first, like, fearful. Like, I wanted to give – I wanted to use that because, it, because in the history of comics, you know, I think – I believe that that's considered to be the first kind of superhero kind of crossover yeah. in the history of comics. Yes. So it, ha- it has that notch as well. And it is a pretty legendary story with Burgos and, and Everett kind of cranking it out in like a drunken weekend or whatever. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to include some uh, like a tangible moment that adds to this humanity's fears about about mutants because it was established way later, you know, 50 years later or whatever that, that Namor is considered a mutant. Yep. Um, so let me build that in a little bit earlier and just give people a real, a real reason to fear mutants beyond just, you know, the human, uh, the human kind of prejudices when it comes to just physical aesthetics yep. or, or stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, like I, that was, it was almost like that they built that comic for me to cherry pick and, and put into this X-Men story uh, at, at this exact moment. Um, and I, I do have kind of a knowledge of the Marvel universe in that way. Um, you know, I, I live here in Pittsburgh and, and rent is cheap which is a way of saying that the comic shops here can have almost like a football field amount of space cool. to, to, to warehouse old comics. Sure. And basically, and basically every single Marvel comic is here in town uh, at my disposal. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have to buy it. The, the shop owners know I'm not going to steal, <laughs> but they'll let me check out. They'll let me check out some, uh, you know, 1950s Captain America comics and stuff. Like, uh, I, I am privileged in that way to have access to this stuff. So, so it's like, let's build some of that into into the the narrative. Absolutely. You know, I wanted to give, I wanted to give some, I wanted to create some insight into, like, how is uh, how is Charles Xavier so rich, and uh, where where did this dynastic uh, wealth come from yes so built i built that I mean, and, and you know what they may have already they may have established 
uh, that um, in later X-Men comics. But like I said, I don't know anything beyond issue 280. Whenever, whenever Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and McFarlane, those guys like went off and created image comics, I was, I was one of those little knuckleheads that went right with them. And, um, and, and, uh, Marvel was, was, um, from that moment forward, pretty, pretty obsolete in a lot of ways. Um, but then the image guys weren't putting their books out at regular enough clips right. for me. Um, and then that's when I discovered more indie fare, uh, you know, Fantagraphics books and sure. Love and Rockets and, and Robert Crumb, like that's the exact trajectory. Um, and I've, my, my comic book needs as a reader have, um, have been the same for the past 20 years, which is like, I want to see, I want to see, um, a complete vision from the mind of a single person and and it sort of stayed that way you know so that's what this is you know this is my x-men comic and and there's no other influences that are that are um directly connected with the the stuff that you see on the page the choices that you see me make um you know the editor is there to to help copy edit my stuff and, and, um, provides like a, like a secondary brain whenever, whenever I need it. And it's a big help, but, um, you know, the comics that I enjoy most, um, they just, they just do not come off of the assembly line. I understand, man. No. And I, and again, I'm, I'm glad that you found those influences. It comes through in your, uh, final product as well. And I believe me, I it's it's reassuring for me as someone that's a bit older than you that uh, we had the same reactions to what was going on as far as mainstream books in the '90s. And I checked out, uh, and also I was in my early 20s, and you know, money was tough, so I just stopped reading for about seven years or so, and came back for things like Busick and Alex Ross doing Marvels and Kingdom Come. But it was in 99 when the independent guys like Bendis and, and Greg Rucka and Brubaker, and I lean on writers because I'm, I'm a story guy first and foremost, but again, yeah. appreciated the new art styles like from Oming and Martin Burrow and some of these other guys. And I'm like, oh, someone's got a new take on this stuff. And it's interesting and it's deeper and it's it's gotten less surfacy. And I mean no disrespect to the Lubdells or Nicieza's that carried the torches during that period as well, just didn't speak to me. I mean, they still sold, sold a lot of books, but uh, yeah, it just didn't speak to me. And, um, you know, and, and then I started to find uh, more independent stuff after I got back to comics, you know, 99 on. So I, uh, again, I, I get it. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, this is, it's beautiful, man. What you're doing right now is fantastic. And I really hope that, <clears throat> like we said, that the X, you know, again, whether you whether you whether you touch these these new you know the the Wednesday Warriors or not, I want your audience to really obviously check them out, which I'm sure they will. But also get more new readers because this is really a great way to present what was really good uh, storytelling from Claremont and and Byrne and you know Paul uh, and now I'm blanking Paul. Uh, well, Smith. Yeah, Paul Smith, of course. Shame on me. See, that's what I mean, man. But you're yeah, and you're helping this latent uh, X Men reader. 
uh, catch up and and fill in the blanks, like you said too, because there is context. We really get a, a good look at the Xavier family in this first issue, and what else was going on in the world impacted by the mutants, where it wasn't a direct impact, but because of their actions, you kind of get a real world reaction to to some of these events, and that that's terrific. Right, but yeah, but it's also at every moment I try to allow the reader to know that this is a magical universe. This is a sure. fantastical place and it is completely not bound by the physics of, of our world. Um, sure. Because the thing just implodes at that point. So uh, if you, if you ever read like uh, read Hitchcock Truffaut, mm-hmm. Hitchcock talks about, he talks about people that he calls the plausibles and it's like, you know, I, I, it's like people who are like anti-fun, um, you know, so like it doesn't have like I just have to I feel the need to remind people that, that it's a magical universe man, where claws pop out of a guy's hand. Another guy can shoot, you know, concussive beams out of his eyes like we are not bound by the universe as we know sure. it, because otherwise, um you know, then Magneto is an 80 year old guy wreaking havoc. And I don't know about you, but I'm not afraid of any 80 year old. Um, yeah, I agree. That's true. So just take, just take that out of, out of the equation from the start. Um, and, you know, keep things fun. You know, it's, it's all, it's all meant to be kind of enjoyable. Um, you know, it's it's. <laughs> I was just thinking about what you were saying about like checking out a comics in in like the nineties, yeah. and and I very often have these conversations with with friends. Like, what the heck did we even buy in the nineties? Like, what <laughs> were we checking out? Because I um I still went to the comic shop every Wednesday, but the true answer is, um, I I was definitely reading preacher months in months out sure. um so that would be like one of the efforts of the big two but other than that man it's like there was like a back section of the comic shop where there were old issues of acme novelty library and and uh eight ball by dan Clowes and stuff like that and um and they and they cost more money than your regular comics so i think i was buying fewer comics but i was buying like that really really primo era fanographics stuff man um but but it does come up in conversation quite often where it's like yeah that like you know were you one of the people that bought silver sable number one with the chromium cover like i wasn't but there were definitely you know five hundred thousand people who were it it was very weird and and again it's great that projects like this are bringing together the love that people like yourself and the strange tales and the bizarro comics people have for the classic stuff and be able to interpret it in their style, no filters, as you say. I meant to ask, who's who's your editor uh, for this, if you have one? His name's Chris – yeah, his name's Chris Robinson. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what other books he, he's overseeing, but um, at first it was uh, this guy Dan Ketchum who was, a, who was an ex-editor. Okay. Um, but now he is an EX editor for Marvel. Like he just doesn't work there anymore. Ah. Um, so, but yeah, Chris, like we have a real good rhythm going. 
um, we've created a, a system and it's a system that Marvel is very, very happy with in terms of what I, what I provide to them each week. Sure. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's steady, it's rhythmic. They, we've been working together for geez, um, a year and a half. Um, so they, they know what my capabilities are. They know that they also know I'm not playing man. Like, you know, I'm seven days a week on this thing and, uh, and, uh, doing everything I can to make it great. So, well, they're a big help. Uh, it's cool. Hey man, honestly, love the first issue. Hip hop family tree fans are not going to be disappointed. I do believe that X-Men fans will really enjoy your take as well. And as you said, let's hope that this really is a first step forward for innovation again at Marvel. This is what happened when um, Joe Quesada took over and brought in a lot of fresh people and fresh ideas. And we got a hell of a lot of good comics in the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, sometimes things, you know, need that you need a shakeup sometimes to kind of regain your footing and remember that it's important to push the medium forward. And uh, it's interesting that you're doing it with a look back at X-Men history, but uh, it's it's a very cool project and deserves everyone's attention. It comes out again, as you said, December 20th is uh, the first issue? It is, yeah. Excellent. Grand Deception, or I'm sorry, Grand Design. No deception here from Ed Pisker. Grand, X-Men <laughs> Grand Design, uh, that first issue, December 20th, and second issue just a couple weeks uh, after that. But nice going, man. Keep it up. And uh, and truly, uh, anytime you have something new, you're welcome back to Word Balloon because I enjoy our conversations and enjoy your point of view. So thanks for sharing today. Yeah, for sure. It is a good conversation, and I appreciate you once again taking the time to um, to, to spread the word about the comic, and I will uh, certainly take you up on that offer in the future. That was fun. Ed Pisker, you got to check out X-Men Grand Design. Coming out in late December, the week before Christmas, it's uh, really, really cool and uh, done in a great fresh indie style that uh, I think longtime X-Men fans and uh, newcomers and also just Ed Pisker fans are really going to enjoy. I love stuff like this. So it was really fun to talk to Ed about his new project in Marvel on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Again, thank you for your support. If you would like to subscribe to Word Balloon, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. Some of the great books that you can find at our other sponsor for today, In Stock Trades at InStockTrades.com. How about things like Injection, Trade Paperback, Volume 3, my good buddy Declan Shalvey, Jordi Belair, and Warren Ellis bringing you this excellent image series. It's 45% off for Volume 3, $9.34. You can get Amazing Spider-Man, Renew Your Vows. Man, that's a great book. Ryan Stegman and uh, Jerry Conway. Uh, This trade is 45% off, $10.99. A great uh, what-if almost story without the what-if title about uh, the married uh, Peter and Mary Jane and their daughter May who's kind of discovering her powers. It's very different from Spider-Girl. I think you'll enjoy it. Also, uh, there's Daredevil Back in Black, Charles Soule, kicking ass. Uh, This is uh, 45% off, $10.99. And um, how about, uh, I don't know, do you collect the Star Wars movie adaptations? The Rogue One adaptation is available now. You know, Marvel's doing a great job. You know, I always sound like I'm, I'm like up Marvel's ass. I really am not. I like good products, and I've mentioned some DC products, obviously, and some image products as well. But, uh, 
you know, I, I really do think, and and I think the sales are bearing this to be true. Marvel's doing a great job with the Star Wars license. It's in incredible hands. We're getting great art. We're getting amazing stories and uh, good adaptations as well. So if you're interested in, uh, if you've got all the other uh, Star Wars movies, you got to put Rogue One on the shelf as well. The trade paperback is 45% off and $10.99 at InStockTrades.com. Again, your orders are $50 or more, free shipping. So check it out. Great time to do it this holiday season. A great way to add to your gift list and maybe cross off some people with some great books at great prices. InStockTrades.com. Thanks for listening to Word Balloon today. We're closing out uh, November with this episode. More great stuff already lined up for December. Uh, as I always say, uh, new people and uh, returning fun uh, with uh, returning guests. And I hope you'll be around to enjoy it throughout the holiday season and the other months ahead. Thank you very much for the support of Word Balloon. Thank you for listening to the show. Can't wait to talk to you in the next couple of days. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017.